Morning, Chapel Street. Felt like a teacher. Um, Our first reading will be from Isaiah, chapter 3, and going through from verse 8 to 23, 26, sorry. I'll give you some time. For Jerusalem has stumbled, and Judah has fallen, because their speech and their deeds are against the Lord, defying his glorious presence. For the look on their faces bears witness against them. They proclaim their sin like Sodom. They do not hide it. Woe to them, for they have brought evil on themselves. Tell the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their deeds. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with them, for what, uh, for what his hands have dealt out shall be done to him. My people, infants are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O oh, my people, your guides mislead you, and they have swallowed up the course of your paths. The Lord has taken his place to contend, he stands to judge peoples. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders and princes of his people. It is you who have devoured the vineyard. The spoil of the poor is in your houses. What do you mean by crushing my people, by grinding the face of the poor, declares the Lord God of hosts. The Lord said, because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks, glancing wantonly with their eyes, mincing along as they go, tinkling with their feet. Therefore the Lord will strike with a scab the heads of the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will lay bare their secret parts. In that day the Lord will take away the finery of the anklets, the headbands, and the crescents, the pendants, the bracelets, and the scarves, the headdresses, the armlets, the sashes, the perfume boxes, and the amulets, the signet rings, and the nose rings, the festal robes, the mantlets, the cloaks and the handbags, the mirrors, the linen garments, the turbans and the veils. Instead of perfume, there will be rottenness, and instead of a belt, a rope, and instead of well-set hair, baldness, and instead of a rich robe, a skirt of sackcloth, and branding instead of beauty. Your men shall fall by the sword, and your mighty men in battle. And her gates shall lament and mourn. Empty she shall, she shall sit on the ground. Um, our second reading is from First uh, Timothy chapter 2, uh, verses 8 to 10. I desire then that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarreling. Likewise, also that women should adorn themselves in respectable apparel, with modesty and self-control, not with braided hair and gold or pearls or costly attire, but with what is proper for women who profess godliness, with good works. This is the word of the Lord. Coming through. Very good. Let's pray. Our Father God, this morning we recognise your presence. 
We thank you for your incredible faithfulness and love, mercy and grace. Father, we thank you that you are a God who desires to communicate with your people. Father, we thank you that you've given us your word so that we understand your mind and understand truth. Father, we pray this morning that our hearts would be receptive to your spirit's leading and teaching and that Jesus Christ be lifted up and glorified. We give you all the praise and all the honour in Christ's name. Amen. Romans 12, 1 and 2 have these words to say. <clears throat> I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. H.A. Einstein writes these words on Romans 12. The human body is a marvellous testimony to the personality and wisdom of God. It is inconceivable that anything so wonderful should have come into existence without the guiding hand of a personal creator. In creating our bodies, he, God, designed them for the highest of all purposes, that they might be used to glorify him. When he saves a human being, a man or a human being, he claims all there is of him, that person. Some would believe that if the soul is saved, how the body is used is insignificant. But the believer's body is the vehicle through which God expresses himself. And the believer's body is to be recognized as, as a sanctuary in which God dwells by his spirit. As he dwelt first in the tabernacle, then in the temple of old. The spirit of man of a saved person, is the holy of holies. And the body is like the building itself, all of which was to be kept set apart to the Lord. All debasing habits, all unlawful appetites, all evil inclinations are to be judged in the presence of God, confessed as sin, and rigidly turned away from in order that in this world we might rightly represent God through whose grace we have been saved. Powerful words. Challenging words. Genesis 1 and 27 says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created him. 1 Corinthians, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. Paul writing to Timothy, 
who is the overse- overseeing that famous church in Ephesus. Ephesus, the church in Ephesus was in trouble. It was a very strategic port city of its day, being fed from near and from afar, where travellers and traders brought not only wares of trade, but many philosophies and ideologies to this well-known city of Artemis. We found that many of the, these varied ideologies have found their way into this relatively new church of believers, the body of Christ at Ephesus. And they're taking on more and more of the society around them in which they live. So Paul is writing to Timothy with some pretty important instructions, some blueprints, if you like, for the believers and how that they need to function or conduct themselves within the household of God. So here we are in 1 Timothy chapter 2. We started this a couple of weeks ago before the holidays and I'll just as a way of review read the first few verses of 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verses 1 and the following. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgiving be made for all people. We've been involved in that. It's so great to hear young people and older folk praying together and calling out to our God. Paul says, I urge that prayers be made for all people, for kings and all who are in high positions, that we may lead a peaceful and quiet life, godly and dignified in every way. This is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Saviour who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of truth. First priority Paul has for this church is prayer, supplications and intercessions and giving thanks that they would be known as a people of prayer. We need to be praying for our governments, for those who are leading this country, for our council, our state leaders, the decisions that they're making. And verses 3 and 4 gives us a, a strong reason for that. For this is good and pleasing in the sight of God our Saviour who desires all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. Recognising that it's God's will that all would come to an understanding of what God, who God is and what he has done. And we've been given the privilege to be involved in that. Knowing that that is God's desire. That's why we need to be earnestly praying for those we live with, those who we work with. That God would open their minds and be drawn to God. Verse 5, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all. 
which is the testimony given at a proper time. For this I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, I'm telling you the truth, I'm not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. This was Paul's calling to make clear to people the glorious message of the gospel of Christ. And now verses 8 and following, Paul goes into a bit more detail. He digs a little bit deeper, if you like. I loved living in the tribe in the Philippines and we'd get to this particular stage and we'd say, they're starting to bung bung into things. They're digging deeper and deeper. And Paul is developing this whole area of worship within the church of God. I desire that in every place the men should pray, lifting holy hands without anger or quarrelling. Firstly, Paul does not limit the places where men need to be praying. And the fact that men need to be praying, I find that quite challenging. Because God has given us an incredible responsibility as men to be praying. Secondly, instead of anger or disputing or quarrelling or in doubt, men should be praying. I find in the workplace or at home, sometimes it's easier to be involved in disputes than to be stopping and saying, okay, God, commit this to you. I recognise you as sovereign. I recognise you need to be doing a work in my life and in those who I'm working with, those who I'm living with, those who I'm going to school with. Our first point needs to be prayer. We can't be involved in evangelism unless we are starting to pray for those around us. I'm afraid that when it comes to prayer, it's usually left to the women to be warriors. And oftentimes we as men are more involved in disputes or arguing. That's not what God wants. He wants us to be men of prayer. The Bible has many illustrations of women who have been consistent and courageous in their prayer life. And many great preachers down through the years and in scripture can see how their lives have changed because women have been involved in prayer. But Paul is saying men don't leave the spiritual warfare or welfare of the family, of the church, of those around us to the the women. That we need to be faithful in praying for them, praying for one another. We have a responsibility to pray. I find this challenging. How many hours, how much time do we spend praying? Really? Not only praying, but that our lives, as illustrated and lifting up with holy hands, authenticate the one we are praying to, the one we are trusting, do our lives back up what we are are saying? 
The idea is that Paul wants the men who are on display praying in public to be men whose lives are above reproach or faithful to what God has called them to do. I don't think that there's necessarily referring to a certain posture of lifting your hands, but an example of lives that are under the control of God. Holy hands, without reproach, without blame. The message says it this way, since prayer is at the bottom of all of this, what I want mostly is for men to pray. Not shaking angry fists at enemies, but raising holy hands to God. The greatest example of all is our Lord Jesus, who there on the cross of Calvary, as he'd been spat upon, insulted and abused beyond recognition. With that arm stretched out, he was able to cry, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. Friends, if that's what our Lord and Saviour went through, how much more do we need to be praying for those around us? Paul continues in, Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves modestly and appropriately and discreetly in proper clothing. Not with elaborately braided hair or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but instead adorned by good deeds, helping others, as is proper for women who profess to worship God. What we're involved is in, is in worship, if offering ourselves to God as a living sacrifices. In some churches, I'm, I'm afraid the culture is to really get dressed up and go to church. Sometimes it tends to be a bit of a fashion parade. And it seems as though nothing's changed. That's the way it was in Paul's day as well. Paul is going to say that if you're going to get dressed up, allow your lives to be the dressing. Allow your lives to be what people see. I remember years ago in the Philippines, <clears throat> coming from Mindanao down on the bottom island, being in the tribe, our clothes were pretty, pretty ordinary, to say the least. And even the clothes that we flew into the tribe with, that were good when we flew into the tribe after being washed down the river with rocks and soap, weren't so good after a while. And so we'd put on those clothes again <laughs> to fly out and we sort of thought, oh, how grabby does this look? And then we'd go up to conference and it seemed as though the, the emphasis was, is, oh, we've got to buy new clothes and... And, and it was, sometimes there was a bit, even amongst the missionaries, a little bit of a competition to say, if you like. It wasn't meant to be that way. But uh, I guess in some ways you felt a little bit uh, behind the ball. And I can remember a year going to conference and sometimes it was looked upon, uh, really, I haven't really got, I mean, to buy a whole lot of new wardrobe just to go to conference for a week is not really what you need to do. 
And that particular year, all of the suitcases were put onto the back of a truck. And that truck was taken to the conference area. We all travelled in cars or jeeps or whatever it was to, to get to the conference. And on the way to that conference, that truck caught on fire. And all of the clothes that were in those suitcases went up in a puff of smoke. And I can remember having to go down to the second-hand shop and buying for a few pesos some clothes to put on our bodies. But the thing was, everybody was in the same boat. And there wasn't any of that, ooh, you know, just a little bit up and down and so forth. Friends, that was the best conference we had. God did an amazing work at that particular conference. Not anything really to do with the clothing, but because of the attitude of God's people coming together, recognising God as our provider. And we were equal to, as brothers and sisters before Christ. It's never been far from my mind. The goal that and the desire that God has for us to be in worship by what we wear, not drawing attention to ourselves. So the point is, in all of this, is that sometimes we can address ourselves or adorn ourselves in order to draw attention to ourselves. And yet God is saying to us, no, worship needs to be where we're focused on Christ. Not focused on us. That worship is us giving ourselves and recognising who he is. And in the day there were times that there were extreme poverty, poverty, but there was also very, very rich people. And sometimes the women would come in with Gold layered upon gold layered upon braided hair with clothing that sometimes was 7,000 times more than a daily wage for a labourer. You work out how much that costs. I'm lucky to be able to come and see the difference between a $35 dress and a $500 dress. But you can guarantee that if some of these folk come into the church they would stand out. And people would say, wow, look at that. Look at their glory. Look at their wealth. Look at their prestige. And the worship moves away from God to individuals. And Paul said, that's not the way it should be. Paul says, as you gather together, you need to be attired in a way that is proper and not drawing others' attention to you, that when we come together, we need to be worshipping who God is, and he needs to be the main focus. So rather than using our wealth and our prestige in our hair or in our clothes, recognise that God is the one to be worshipped, that we need to come together as brothers and sisters worshipping Christ the head of the church. Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't be wearing 
and making ourselves look well. I'm not necessarily repenting for paying $75 for a bracelet every now and again or whatever. But the attitude is to worship God. Do we draw attention to ourselves in whatever the ministry is that God's got for us to do? Our goal is that Christ Jesus be lifted up and glorified. Proverbs 31 and verse 22. talks about women who are adorned in their, their attitude of worship where Christ is the centre of the focus. 1 Timothy 2, 8 and 10 Therefore I want men in every place to pray to lift up holy hands without anger and disputing or quarrelling or doubt. Likewise, I want women to adorn themselves modestly and appropriately and discreetly in proper clothing, not with elaborated braided hair and gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but instead adorned by good deeds, helping others, as is proper for women who profess to worship God. 1 Timothy 2 is primarily about corporate worship. God alone is God, sovereign creator of the universe and everything that's in it. He who made it owns it rightfully. We submit ourselves to him. He alone is worthy of all praise and he cannot share that glory with any other. God forbid that we allow ourselves to be a stumbling block to those within us. Let's pray. Our Father God, again, we recognise you as our Lord and Saviour. But Father, we thank you for your spirit who lives within us and gives us clarity of our own attitudes, of what you desire to be the conduct of us within the fellowship together. Father, we thank you for your promise that your spirit will illuminate our minds to what is proper because we desire for Jesus Christ to be lifted up and glorified. We desire to worship you. We desire that others will be drawn to you because of our lives, because of our love for one another, for for the way we conduct ourselves with each other. And again, oh God, we pray that Jesus Christ be honoured and glorified. And it's his name we pray.